I'm so grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. I will also be grateful when Corey returns next week. Uh, but I think that the Lord has something that he wants to say to us this morning. He was saying it to me all week as I studied Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I think this is a scripture passage for our time. And of course, we know that all scriptures God breathed and profitable for all times, for all people. But I think it will be helpful for us today. I hope it will be. This morning, I want to ask you a question. It's a hypothetical question, so don't, don't get ready to shout anything out. Um, if I told you that the God who created heaven and earth, who spoke the stars and the planets and the sun into existence, who filled up the oceans with water, and who reached his hands down in the dirt to create man, who formed you in your mother's womb, if that God were to be fully present in our courtyard right outside this door, how would you react? If I were to tell you that you could get up out of your pew, open that door, and walk into the presence of God, would you even want to? Would you be afraid? Would you be hesitant? Now, I realize that some, some of you might be getting slightly uh, offended at the thought of this hypothetical uh, question, it's sort of like whenever, um, not that Rachel would ever do this, but if my spouse were to ask, uh, would you get remarried if I died? Um, like, like that's a hypothetical question. I'm not a huge fan of hypotheticals. Um, it reminds me of a quote from the movie True Grit. One of the characters says, I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Um, but my question stands to you this morning. I think it might help us See something. What if I told you that the God who created heaven and earth, who formed you in your mother's womb, is closer to you right now and more available to you right now than if he were fully present beyond that door? Would, I be- would you believe me, church, if I told you that right now we are in his presence? Right now. Our passage this morning from the book of Hebrews assures us that we can be confident in our access to God. Our first task this morning is to let that fact astonish us. We need to be amazed that we have access to God. That's the foundation for the message this morning, and then it leads into three pursuits of a confident church. Because of that, there are three things that we can be doing that this passage calls us to. First, we're to hold fast in inward hope. I'm sorry, first, we're to draw near to God in upward faith. Second, hold fast to inward hope. And third, stir one another up in outward love. Before we read this passage this morning, if you're wondering why you should continue giving me your attention, I want to tell you If you feel that God's a million miles away from you, this message is for you. If your heart is anxious because of what's going on in the world or even what's going on in your own home, this message is for you. And even if you're just not sure how to be a good faithful church member right now in this weird, crazy season that we're in, this message is also for you. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, says this. I'm going to put it up on the screen as well since we don't have our pew Bibles right now. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us see the truths in your word and help us to be obedient to them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews is a unique book of the Bible. Um, It's a letter, we know, written to, we think, primarily Jewish Christians. Uh, We're not really sure who the author is. There's really no consensus around who wrote the book of Hebrews. But the audience, audience seems to be very familiar with the Old Testament because there are tons of Old Testament references in Hebrews. And so the writer spends... The first 10 chapters really talking about how Jesus is superior to the Old Testament sacrificial system, how he brings us out of that into a new and better covenant than like what we saw with one with Moses. You know, we just got out of our Ten Commandments series. Uh, and if you'll remember, that's where God was making a covenant with the people of Israel, giving, him the, giving them the laws. Um, and out of that came the sacrificial system that dealt with the sins of the people. And that was all leading up to now with Jesus, who's the mediator of a new and better covenant. And our passage today begins with the word therefore. And as any good Sunday school teacher can tell you, when we encounter the word therefore in the Bible, we need to find out what it's there for. Okay, good, good. I got a couple of you. Um, and in this, in this passage, it's actually pretty straightforward. We, we don't really have to look back very far because he gives us a summary right after These first three verses in this chapter are a summary of what's been going on before. So we're just going to focus here on these three verses, 19 through 21, for a minute, which tell us that because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the work of Christ, we can be confident that we have access to God. We have access to God. Access is something that we all crave, right? We want to be with people that we think are important, uh, that can offer us something that can maybe uh, help us get further in life. Um, We want to be associated with important people. Uh, If I were to uh, get on the phone and try to get President Trump on the line, what do you think my chances would be of having access to our president? Probably nothing, right? Like absolutely zero chance that I would be able to access our, our country's leader. And that's just an earthly leader. But when it comes to access to God, what do you think the chances are that we could enter into his presence for an audience with him under our own power? 
What are the chances? Church, I'm afraid that we don't give enough thought to how staggering it is that we can draw near to God. We have access to God. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a Jewish person living in the time of Jesus. I'll help you out. I'll give you some details because I know that's a pretty big cultural leap for us 2,000 years ago. Um, and you, you're a good and faithful Jewish person. You live, work, and go to synagogue. You, you even attend the temple. Uh, you try to honor God with your life. But the idea of knowing God personally, of living in his presence, for you would be a frightening one. The only one who encounters the presence of God is the high priest. And that happens one day a year on the Day of Atonement. I want you to imagine waiting outside the temple as the high priest puts on sacred garments, goes through a ritual cleansing process, sacrifices a goat and a bull to pay for the sins of himself and the people. He enters into the temple, moves through the holy place, and he stops at the curtain. This curtain stood right outside the the entrance to the most holy place, or the holy of holies, you might have heard it called. And on this picture of the curtain, there are cherubim, which are heavenly warriors guarding the presence of God like the same angels, the same warriors that were stationed outside of Eden to guard God's presence as Adam and Eve were cast away. So the priest stops at the curtain. And he knows that if he doesn't do this exactly right, he could be killed. He knows that for entering into the presence of God in disobedience is a serious life and death matter. But the priest moves behind the curtain. He sprinkles the blood from the sacrifices on the Ark of the Covenant. And he does not linger in the presence of God. Now remember, you're a faithful Jewish person. And you watch the priest emerge from the temple. And you breathe a sigh of relief. Your sins are taken care of for another year. And you go home. And you wait till next year. Can you imagine living this way? Can you imagine relating to God this way? I fear that there's such a gap between our experience and theirs that we have grown cold to the fact that we have access to God. Church, we don't have to send a human priest with a sacrificed animal into the presence of the Lord. Let's look at verse 19 and 20 and see what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, we don't have to approach God that way anymore. Jesus has brought us to God through the sacrifice of his own body. Contrast that with what's going on before. Before we send in the high priest and we hope for the best, we hope that he's right with God, we hope that he makes atonement for us. Now we have a perfect spotless lamb of God. No bulls, no goats, no sacrifice year after year, a once for all sacrifice by the spotless, sinless son of God. 
And not only is he the sacrifice for sin, he's also the priest who offers the sacrifice. You see in the next, in the next verse, uh, verse 20, it says that, uh, verse 21 tells us that he's the priest who offers the sacrifice. And he's no mere earthly priest. He doesn't have to uh, sacrifice uh, an animal for his own sins because he has none. He's the perfect mediator between God and man. But verse 20 tells us we have a new and living way. As long as Jesus is alive, this way is open. And it's because his broken body was torn apart on the cross. And as it was, the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. We see this in Mark 15. It says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Those things are connected. The way to God is open now. We don't have to send in the priest. We have a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. Church, this is, this is big picture theology, and it makes my heart sing. I hope it does yours. But one thing I want you to know right now is that this is immensely practical for us. There are many in our church who, who aren't able to make it into this building right now. And some for very good reasons, because of health concerns and, and the pandemic, obviously. That's, that's what we've been dealing with for months. Does that mean that if, if they're not in this building that they can't access the presence of God? Of course not. Of course not. Because Jesus has opened up the way. There's nothing intrinsically holy about this building. And now don't get me wrong, I love this building. It's where the people of God gather together. It's where we encourage each other. It's where we sing together. It's where we hear God's word preached. That's what makes it special. It's not because God lives here. What a life-giving truth it is that wherever we are, even if we're stuck at home, and some of you might be watching online right now and you feel stuck at home, you feel so bored and lonely that you're about to cry. You don't have to be in this room to enter the presence of God. Jesus has opened up the way and he stands ready as our high priest to usher us in to his presence. So what does it mean to draw near to God right now as we live our lives, as we're in this building, as we go home and make lunch and, and live and work and, and, and do all the things that we have to do from day to day? What does it mean to live in God's presence Sort of an abstract idea. At least in the Old Testament, the priest actually physically walked behind the curtain and was in God's presence. This is, this is a new thing. And in this passage, as it goes on, we, we've got three exhortations. Uh, I've titled, titled it, Three Pursuits of a Confident Church. And the first one is upward faith. That's how we draw near to God. Faith. Faith. Verse 22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the writers just spent a few verses saying, there's no more barriers. The way is open. And now he says, let's go. Let's draw near. There's nothing holding us back from the presence of God. Why would we settle for living as if there is? Why would we settle for, 
religious activity aimed at a distant deity whenever we can draw near to him. But how do we do it? How do we do this? It's with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What is faith? I mean, this, this word has been used for so many different things. It's so corrupted and so, um, so nebulous now. Like, what does it mean to have faith? And I'll say this. It is believing in Jesus, but it's not only that. In a very real sense, faith is believing Jesus. Believing that what he says is true. Believing that whenever he sacrificed himself for us, that he has drawn us near to God. No longer should we have a fearful heart that runs from the Lord. We can run towards him because our sins are forgiven. The curtain is torn and the way is open. And verse 22 says that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, what does that mean, an evil conscience? A few moments ago, whenever I uh, had that example about what if the presence of the Lord were fully out there in the courtyard, I think the reason why that might have jarred us a little bit, might might have jarred me to think about, is because of uh, the lingering evil conscience. Sometimes I don't think we're convinced that our sins are fully forgiven. Sometimes I don't think that we're convinced that we have nothing to fear in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. It's a burdened conscience because we're sinners. We're sinners. And that keeps us from running into the presence of God and falling at his feet because we're afraid. We so often feel condemned, don't we? Some of us live in this reality all the time. We beat ourselves up. We don't measure up. We feel like there's really no hope for, for us at all. We so often feel condemned. Friend, I want to tell you this morning, so much of the life of upward faith is believing God instead of our feelings. Okay? Are you going to trust your feelings about yourself, even your sins, which are facts, not just feelings. But are you going to trust that God has cast them as far from you as the east is from the west? Are you going to trust that the way is open into God's throne room because of what Jesus has done for you? Don't put more stock in your sin than in his righteousness. Do not do it. Do not belittle him. Come to him, run to him, draw near to him in upward faith. Friend, are you hiding from God? Do you shrink back at thinking of sta- at the thought of standing in his presence? There, there might be that, there might be some of those among us, but there also might be some of us that sort of feel like we're close to God, but really our religious life just consists of checking boxes, reading, have I read my Bible? Have I prayed today? Have I gone to church? Have I listened to a sermon? Um, Have I given my tithe? Don't misunderstand me. We should all be doing those things. Absolutely, we should be doing those things. But why are we doing them? Is it because we've drawn near to the one who created us, the one who satisfies our soul? Or is it because we sort of think that if we do these things, that one day he'll let us in? No. Jesus has done it. We've been brought near, and that's why we do all of those things. Don't you see that all of that is meaningless if it doesn't flow from a vibrant personal relationship 
with the one true God. Friends, we're designed to live in His presence. That's how God made us, to feast on His glory forever. Everything we do in life ought to flow from that. And I'll say this, your spiritual life doesn't have to dry up just because church isn't back to normal yet. Okay? Don't settle for religious activity. Pursue the presence of God. The way is open. You have nothing to fear. You've been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You can draw near with a true heart of upward faith. Let's not settle, church. Let's go further up, further in. Not only do we have upward faith, the second pursuit of a confident church that's confident that we have access to God is inward hope. Inward hope. Verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The world feels upside down right now, doesn't it? It feels like the wheels are falling off. I don't have to give you a list. Some of you could educate me on all the, all the stuff that's going on. And that, that's just speaking about what's going on in the world. That doesn't even begin to get to the pain that, some, that exists in some of our homes, some of our families. I know there's pain in this room. Sometimes we might be tempted to think that things are broken for good, that there's really no hope. How does this verse confront that reality this morning? Church, because we have access to God and because He keeps His promises, let's hang on with white knuckles to every word that He says. Here are a few promises from the Bible. I'm just going to go through rapid fire. I'm not even going to give the references right now. But you'll find these are some things to hang on to, to steady your feet. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Come to me, says Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, these are precious promises. These matter for us as far as our inward hope. If you feel hopeless, if you feel like there's really nothing to look forward to, believe God. Believe what he says is true. What does this verse say? It's because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Friend, when everything seems like it's going off the rails, we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. We don't have control over very much in this life, but we have access to the one who does. Friends, there are too many hardships among us to name this morning. Too much suffering. But we know the king. We know that he keeps his promises. We don't have to be fearful of the future. We don't have to be convinced that, this, that things are too broken to ever be fixed. Friends, let's hold fast in hope. Not only does, God, does access to God drive us to upward faith and inward hope, finally, this is the third pursuit of a confident church, it drives us to outward love. 
Outward love. Let's look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. If you've drawn near to God and you're hanging on tight to his promises, you won't settle for a life of private faith. You will be turned outward. You will turn to your neighbor and encourage them to walk the life of faith. Confidence in God drives us outward. So this verse says, consider how to stir each other up. So far, the, the first, first few minutes of the sermon were very theologically heavy and abstract. We're getting really practical right now, folks. Really practical. The author says, make a plan. Come up with, a, with some sort of strategy to help your neighbor follow Christ. Let's formulate a list. Let's put all of our mental energy into strategies that will help our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, grow in love for the Lord and for the church. That's not just when I see you, I'll say, hey, I'm praying for you. That's, that's good, and I'm happy for that. Anytime you, you tell me that, I'm happy to receive that. But friends, I think we can do better. I think we can do more. I think we can sit down, put an hour in our calendar where we can plot and scheme for how we can help others, how we can meet needs, how we can stir each other up. In fact, this word stir up, it's, uh, your translation might say provoke even or, or, um, or, or spur on. Um, I mean, can you think about a spur and a horse? That's got to be pretty uncomfortable, right? Like these are pretty strong action words. Um, these, are, these are really strong words. And I think it's necessary because church, don't we get stuck sometimes? Don't we get stuck in the mud just going after our own lives, interacting with our own families? And, and we don't really have room in our lives for any energy to, to pour into other people. Um, and maybe that's just... Maybe that plagues us especially right now in our culture um, because we're just so busy. There's no margins in our life that we can spare to focus on other people. We've got too much going on. Church, don't miss this. We need each other. I need you. I need you. Some of you are really, really wonderful at this. There's many people in our church that send me texts, calls, send me notes of encouragement. Let me tell you, it, it fuels my fire. It puts gas in my tank. It really does. Don't just wait around for someone to encourage you. Consider, make a plan, stir up others. And in the strange math of the, of the kingdom, as we lose our lives, as we give away, the, we receive. We receive. Are you keeping up with your Sunday school class? Are you, are, are you asking hard questions to your brother or sister? Are you checking in? We need each other, especially right now when we're not in this building very much together. We need each other. Verse 25 says that we don't need to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but we're to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. 
And some of you are thinking, wow, that's an interesting choice for this morning. Don't neglect meeting together right now in the middle of this pandemic. Um, and I, I know I'm, I'm talking to the, the faithful, faithful few. Y'all are here. I'm proud of you. I love you. Uh, but there are many people here who it would be imprudent for them, unwise for them even, to come into this building right now. So how do we square that with this verse? Um, I think the key word there is neglect, right? If, if you know someone who wants to be here but decides it's more prudent for them to stay home, that's not neglecting. That's just being wise. There's a sense in which, um, you know, for the, for the several, several weeks where we didn't have any kind of services at all, I was just grieving. Even though we were doing online services, it's just not the same. It's not the same. And it's still not quite the same. I love being in this room with you, but I miss the ones who aren't here. I know you do as well. Maybe you're watching this message online because you don't feel comfortable being in the building right now. I want to tell you up front, it's okay. I don't think you're in violation of Hebrews 10.25. But, If we move out of this pandemic, Lord willing, who knows when that will be, um, and it becomes safe for everyone to be in this building again, um, will we see everyone? Will everyone come back? I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. If not, they risk disobeying God's word. We ought not to neglect meeting together because we need each other. Do you know why, church? It's because this is not our home. This is not, this is just a way station. This is just, we're, we're, we're traveling, we're pilgrims, we're strangers in a strange land. But one day, this verse says, Jesus is going to come back. You see the word, the, the day is drawing near, that day is in capital, capital D. That means the day, the day of, of days, when Jesus comes back so easy to forget that we have access to God as we live and work. And this passage reminds us to think about the fact that he's going to come back. And so that helps me draw near. It helps me hold fast in hope. And it helps me have outward love focused on you, helping you and you helping me. You know, I was speaking with, uh, with JB the other day and we both agreed that Life feels just like it's on pause right now. Maybe it feels that way for you. Maybe some of you are just working as hard as you, as you always work, and it doesn't really feel that much different. Um, but for us who work in, in this building, it just, it's so strange. They're not being people here all the time. And I find myself um, thinking about, man, it'll be nice when this thing's over. Um, and, I, and I stand by that. But sometimes I think it can make me complacent. It can make me sit on my hands just waiting for things to change. Friends, I don't think that's what God has in mind for us. I don't think we're supposed to sit around and watch Netflix until this thing is over. Um, I'm, that's my personal temptation. Yours might be something else. Um, I don't think we're supposed to just sit around thinking about what's going to happen when we get on the other side of this thing. I think if we're faithful to this passage, we won't live that way. We won't be satisfied with passing the time. 
sitting on our hands. We won't be content to look at a screen for 10 hours a day, waiting for lives to start back. We won't be satisfied with occasional religious activity directed toward a distant God. If we remember that God is completely available to us right now because of what Jesus has done, then we will draw near to him because he's made a way for us. And if we believe God's word, we won't be so upset and anxious all the time about everything that's happening in the world because he who promises is faithful. And if we believe Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, we, wait, we won't wait around for the church to get back to normal. We should be drawing up battle plans at our kitchen tables, folks. We should be coming up with strategies to stir each other up in Christian love. We should be plotting and scheming for how we can help each other follow Jesus. And we do it because we're getting each other ready to go home. Right now, we're stumbling around in the dark, waiting for the sun to rise. Church, we're getting each other ready for the wedding day. Jesus has sacrificed himself so that we might be brought into the wedding feast. Church, are we going to pursue him? Are we going to be a confident church that is confident in our access to God? Is that going to drive us to have upward faith, inward hope, and outward love? Or are we just going to pass the time? Friends, I hope, I hope that this doesn't feel like I'm beating on you. I, want, I think that we have such confidence right now, even whenever everyone outside of the church doesn't have a reason for confidence because everything looks so bleak. But friends, we know the ending. We know the day is drawing near. Jesus is coming back and he keeps his promises. He does. So let's draw near in faith. Let's hold fast in hope. And let's stir each other up in love. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. And we're thankful that we can even just pray to you. That you hear us. Lord, that we have access to you. God, we thank, we thank you that you keep your promises. Lord, that you're faithful always. Lord, I pray that you'd make us a bold church. Lord, that we would not be anxious. Lord, that we would draw near to you. That we would be rooted in hope and abounding in love. Lord, send your spirit out among us and grow us in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.